you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of John this morning. And we're going to talk about John's Christmas story. But get that moved. And, you know, we look here, and I don't know about y'all, but I love reading the Christian Christmas narratives and seeing about how that King of Heaven come. You know, we sing in King of Heaven come. Yeah, we thinking this morning praying for His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ to come and to minister, to stir our hearts, to make His presence manifested and revealed that, that we know He's with us, He's alive. But I got news for you. The King already came, amen? And when He came, He came in an unusual way, and that's why we celebrate Christmas. Nobody else has ever been born of a virgin, conceived of the Holy Spirit, but the Son of God, the one and only and begotten, Jesus Christ. If we look here this morning... We're just going to read the passage that I want to preach from together, and then we're going to kind of look at some verses as an introduction, and then I want us to look and see that John has the most unusual approach to introducing us to where Jesus came from and how he got here than any of the other Gospels. And John's Gospel is my favorite Gospel. It's so unique. The first three Gospels present Jesus coming to earth from an earthly perspective. But John describes Jesus coming into this world from a heavenly perspective. And I'm going to be the first one to tell you, when you read what we're fixing to read, the first thing that comes into my mind is, I can't understand all of this, <laughs> because it's impossible. As a matter of fact, the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John are perhaps the most profound pages of Scripture in the New Testament verse, Bible. When you read these verses, you realize immediately that you will never be able to completely understand what it's saying. And anyway, it still blesses you. So read it with me this morning in verse 1, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then John lets you know that the Word is a person. He was in the beginning with God. And then he tells us all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life. And remember, when God spoke the word, let there be light, he spoke life into existence. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Look down at what it says in verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, in them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And this is the verse I primarily want to preach this morning. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's why we know for sure the word was Jesus and is Jesus and will forever be Jesus and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Lord, today, as we take time to dig into Your Word, we pray for help from heaven, that Your Spirit might provide understanding, that You might anoint this time of study, and that You might open eyes and ears and hearts to see, hear, and understand the deepness of of what it meant when the Son of God, eternal God, became flesh 
through a baby, through the birth of a little virgin girl named Mary. And God became one of us and lived. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten, one and only Son of God. And it was full of grace and truth. And we thank you for that life and for the testimony of who Jesus is and what he declared and showed us about God. And so, Lord, today we look into your word and we celebrate that the word is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we begin to look at the Christmas time, Jesus is the whole purpose of the whole Bible. And when you look, you see that God was preparing us from the beginning that in the fullness of time, he would send forth his son who would be born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those of us who are under the law. That's Galatians chapter 4. Isaiah is one of the great Old Testament prophets when you want to find the prophecies of Christ. And he said, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. And what a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, we know from the New Testament in Matthew's account in chapter 1, verse 23, that that word Emmanuel means God with us. He tells us some more about this child in chapter 9. He said, for unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And he tells us his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I don't know about you, but that's my favorite Old Testament prophecy of what Jesus the son that would be given for us, his life, the, the child that would be born of God. And friends, when we look though, Matthew tells us even more. When you get to the New Testament, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. I want you to notice something. It wasn't spoken by the prophet. Look what that says. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord. The Lord spoke it through the prophets. And it says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translates God with us. Now I want you to think about this. In the context of the Christian narratives, we learn the different names given to God's son. And we learn all the names. We learn that the virgin's name is Mary. We learn that the Father is the Holy Spirit, <laughs> God himself. It's constantly building and describing and filling in the blanks. But I want to tell you something. What we're fixing to look at, there's some blanks we'll never fill this side of heaven. Because Jesus didn't begin at the virgin birth. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is the second person in the triune God, the creator of heaven and earth, the Father, Son, and Holy. He's always been. But in God's wisdom, he figured out how he could become one of us for a season and become flesh. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. As we begin to look at that, Emmanuel, God with us, it gives you names. And every name has a purpose in the Bible, especially when it's describing Jesus. And it says his name would be wonderful. I don't know about what you think about when I think of he's wonderful. I think of his glory and his honor. Can you imagine the glory of God's son he's wonderful that word wonderful literally though is speaking about his deity his godliness 
And then that word counselor, I don't know about y'all, but I thank God for the counselor from heaven. Amen? Because he's filled with all truth and wisdom. The origin of all truth is Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one's coming to the Father but through me. And there's no greater wisdom you need to hear than how to come to the Father, the Creator. And Jesus is the counselor. He alone has truth and wisdom. And because he's mighty God, I don't know what you think about that, but when I hear he's mighty God, I think of his strength and his power. He is almighty God, which means there's nothing that can be more mighty than him or he ain't mighty God. Amen? And he's everlasting father. When I think of everlasting father, I think of eternal life. And what makes eternal life what it is, is that we go to our father to be with him forever and ever. And Jesus told us, you believe in God, believe in me also. Let not your heart be troubled. He says, for in my Father's house there are many mansions. And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and I'm going to receive you for, to myself so that where I am, you may be also. I don't know what you're looking forward to, but I'm thankful that I've got a wonderful counselor, a mighty God who is my everlasting Father, who has provided for me eternal life. And my promise, my hope is not here, but that I have a place prepared in heaven that he has made for us, that we're going to go. And friends, listen, he's the Prince of Peace. I promise you, when you get there, there's going to be rest and safety, eternal security. So when we look at this son that was given, this child that would be born, that's how the passages of Scripture described Emmanuel, God with us. But when you get to the New Testament, he just named him Jesus Christ. And I don't know about y'all, but to me, with all those things, he's Jesus to me. Good morning, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Lord, Jesus. He's everything in that name. But I want you to think about that. That name, where, how did he get that name? Jesus' proper name comes from the Hebrew name Joshua, which means Yahweh saves or salvation is from Yahweh. That's why he was named that. And Christ is the Greek term for anointed one, which is the equivalent to the Hebrew word for Messiah. So he is Jesus, the one who saves, the Messiah, the anointed one. And friends, Matthew tells us the minute you open up the New Testament, the first page of the New Testament, the first thing you see in the first book, Matthew, is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David. And he gives you his genealogy, which shows you physically his claim to the throne as the king of the Jews. And Matthew and Luke give us the earthly claim and earthly explanation of his arrival. And he came, we know, his mother was betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. So it puts the players of the story into place. And we know that he was born of the virgin. And we read all that. But when you come to John's gospel, John presents him as Jesus, as the word, the logos in the Greek. In the beginning was the word. He lets us know Jesus didn't start at Bethlehem. Jesus always was. 
And friends, he lets us know that he's more than just a man who was God. He's the God that became man. As God-man, he represents God to us. As man-God, he represents and helps mediate us to God. And he was in the beginning with God. But more than that, John says, he was God. And friends, when we begin to look at Jesus, look at what John explains in these first few pages about Christ. Jesus is the eternal word of God. The word of God, everything that God does comes from his word. It was the word that spoke creation into being. It's the word that holds it together. It's the word that saves us. You can't get saved unless you hear the gospel and the word of truth must be preached and you must receive it by faith. Everything God does is through the word and Jesus is the incarnation, the Bible says. He is the the embodiment of God's word. And friends, I don't know if you think about that. Look at what he says he done in these first few verses. Look at verse 3. He says that Jesus, the eternal word, he created all things. Jesus did that. That little baby, when he laid in the manger, was never not the one who created everything. Now try to wrap your mind around that. That is hard for me as a country boy to think about. And you say, well, you're a fool to believe that. Well, guess what? It's the fool who says there is no God. And if God is God, he can do what he wants and how he wants. And friends, I want you to understand something. The creator left heaven the the king of heaven did come and he humbled himself as a little child the word the logos the eternal incarnated word of god was in jesus that little baby but listen not only did he create all things but he is life look at what he says right there in verse three all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made in him was life And guys, what people don't realize today is life is empty. Life is never complete. Life can never experience the fullness of what it was given to you for until Jesus restores it, until he repairs it. Because the devil stole the true life, the life that we were created to experience in the purpose image, perfect image of our creator. And we're corrupted now by sin. And so he came, and he is the life. He is the light of mankind. Look at what he says in verse 4. He says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. I don't know about y'all, but when Jesus gave me life, it was like a light came on. The world looked different, though it hadn't changed a bit. You know why the world looked different? Because the world is dark, my friend. The world is in darkness spiritually. The world is trying to make life meaningful. The world is searching for purpose and fulfillment in all of these things except the one and only thing that can give it to you, the creator, the one who gave you life, the one who is life. And when you experience Jesus, everything looks different. Would you admit to me that when you read the Bible, it was different? Man, when you went to church, church was boring until I got saved, amen, and sometimes even saved church is boring. (laughs) Because if church ain't about Jesus, if church ain't filled with people who are excited about the right thing, and you're just trying to make church into what you want, and it's not about him and it's about us, church gets boring real quick. Because we can't make it exciting, he does. 
And it's that relationship. You know what? Not only is he the life, John says in these first few verses of Scripture, but he is the perfect declaration of the glory of God. Look at what he says. He says that this word, this word that was life, this word that was the light of mankind, this word is the perfect declaration, the manifestation of the glory of God. Look at verse 14. And the word became flesh. We know where that happened. It happened in the virgin birth. And he dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Guys, listen. There's a lot of famous people that's been born, that's made a great influence on the earth. And we do recognize some of them's day but no recognition of any other person on the face of the earth up to this date has made such an impact that it does such an influence to the whole world as Jesus. Everyone realizes that Christmas is about the birth of Christ. And his life, regardless of whether you believe him or not, has made more of an impact and more people have heard and know about what he's done in any other life. How many times do you hear us celebrating the birth of George Washington? As important as he was, do you even know his birthday? <laughs> and I know December the 25th isn't the actual day, but we still celebrate the actual event that he was born. How many of you celebrate other great people? You see, Jesus is the only one who showed us the glory of God. And listen, that life, that glory, that life is recorded in the Gospels. The greatest thing he did, we forget, I believe. It wasn't his miracles. Yes, they're extraordinarily influential and they blow you away. I mean, he made the deaf to hear, the blind to see, um, the lame to walk. He raised the dead. All those things, I look at and I'm, I'm impressed. But the longer I try to live the life God wants me to live, the more I see that the greatest thing he did is that he lived a sinless life. That's overwhelming. He never sinned. Though he was fully one of us, man, yet because he was still fully God, he never committed one sin. That's why he is the one and only one who can give us life. That's why he came to dwell in our presence. You see, Jesus didn't come just to live. He came to die. And it's only through him. And next week, you need to be here for Sunday night because we're going to have in our Sunday night service a candlelight. And the whole service is going to be the communion. And we're going to celebrate what Jesus did for us at the candlelight service. Because if he didn't die at Calvary, it doesn't matter that he was born in Bethlehem. And if he didn't live a sinless, perfect, holy, righteous life in between Bethlehem and Calvary, his death is not going to save anybody. The only reason he can save us from our sin is he overcame sin in the flesh. It's called the incarnation. He became flesh and he dwelt among us. He's the one who made the Father known. Look at verse 18. Listen to what it says. It says in verse 18, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father. That means the heart of the Father. He has declared Him. 
He's made him known. Jesus said this. He said, I and the Father are one. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And friends, listen to this. According to John's gospel, the eternal word of God became flesh. God, the second person in the Trinity, was born into a virgin by the Holy Spirit conceiving in her little womb. And he was born in Bethlehem and he dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. And friends, listen, there's a lot of people will argue about was Jesus this or that. But no one argues that Jesus did not dwell here. He lived here. You can go to a place called Israel and you can go on a tour and they can bring you all over the land of Jesus where he walked and did many things. And I'm telling you, it's as real there as it is if you go to Washington, D.C. and look at our history. He's real. I want you to think about this. The incarnation, what is that? That's God becoming human. That's the union of the divinity, the godliness of God, and humanity, us, in Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, the man from Nazareth, is the Son of God, the incarnate Word of God. Where do you get that word incarnate? It comes from the word logos, translated into Latin, and it's a lot above our pay grade, so we ain't going to waste time spending on it. What we need to realize is what Jesus really did and what that glory looked like and the examples he set. Because I want you to think about this. The Word, the eternal Word of God became flesh, and the Word dwelt among us. And look at what it says. We beheld his glory. We've seen his glory. And that glory of the only begotten Son of God was full of two things. Of all the things that Jesus could have been described of by John. John who personally knew him. John who was his apostle. Who was his disciple. Who lived with him for three years in a personal day-on-one, day-to-day relationship. He said that this glory that came from this Son of God, the eternal Word, this incarnate flesh was God in its fullness, he said it was full of grace and truth. Now, I don't know if that means much to you, but I'm sure glad it didn't say he was full of the law and righteousness and judgment. And I want you to look at what else he says here. If you look down in the, below that verse, if you go down with me a little further, look at what it says in verse 16. And of his fullness we have all received grace for grace. I don't know about you, but you can never, ever be in a shortage of grace. There's nobody in this room that is in need of grace and even more grace. There's nobody here today that can come and stand before God and have access to God based on our life. It's only through his life. And look at what he says. No one has seen God. Look at verse 17. I mean, verse 17. For the law was given through Moses... But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now I want you to think about that. Why is John talking about that? The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Listen, up until this point, the only way to have a relationship with God, the only access to God is through the law. The Old Testament is a system of law and works. The New Testament still stands for the law. The law is what makes us realize we're not righteous. 
that we've sinned. The law is what makes us realize we're a candidate in deep need of grace. <laughs> so he brought grace and truth. I'm so thankful he brought grace and truth instead of law and righteousness. Now he, he lived that purposely. He purposely lived the law. He was purposely righteous. But he offered something above our beyond to accept grace and truth. And I want you to think about this. There is no greater example of grace and truth in the whole Bible except in the Gospel of John. And I think it's one of my, the most underpreached passages. It's in chapter 8. If you turn with me to chapter 8, you see these people, these Pharisees who are of the Old Testament. And guys, listen, if Jesus had not come, they would be the ones who were having authority over us. Their system of law and works would be what we would be under. But we're not under the law anymore. If you're under Jesus and you've given him and accepted him as your Savior, now it's grace and truth. And I want you to look at this story. It says now in verse 2 of chapter 8, Now early in the morning Jesus came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. Now Jesus has been teaching them, and he's been teaching them for almost three years now, and his teaching has stirred up opposition from the religious leaders who are all about law and righteousness and being religious. Jesus came because he's not here to make us religious. He's here to fulfill and give us the ability to have a relationship. Jesus is more worried about our relationship with him based on truth and grace than he is about the law. And friends, I want you to see this. Then the scribes and the Pharisees, the scribes were the lawyers. They were the experts of the word of God. They were like the modern day seminary professors who taught the preachers how to preach the word. They were the experts and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now, I want you to think about this. They caught her in the very act. And they bring her before Jesus. Now, are they doing it because they care about the woman? No. They're doing it because they're trying to trick Jesus, the Bible says. And look at what it says. They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. And that's exactly what it says in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. But what do you say? So they're trying to trick Jesus. Because if Jesus... Says the law, if he says you don't have to keep the law, then he's not a good teacher. So they got him, they think, in a dilemma. But I love this. I don't know what Jesus wrote, <laughs> but I can promise you it got their attention. Because right now all their attention was on this woman. And they probably all had a rock in their hand. And they were just waiting for Jesus to say, you're right. Stone her. And it says in verse 6, this they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote on the ground his finger as though he did not even hear him. And then you can, you can have a long day reading what everybody thinks he wrote. <laughs> now I can't tell you exactly what he wrote, but I can tell you what he wrote changed their opinion. It changed their attitude. Because they're all standing here. They said, we caught her in the very act. Here she is. We know she did it. 
in the law by Moses. Moses, Moses gave us the law. Jesus gave us truth and grace. So what does Jesus say? He writes something. And listen, as he's writing, look at what it says happens in verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Everyone thinks that that verse is what made them tuck tail and run. I think that verse had something to do with what he wrote. <laughs> you can say, well, what do you think he wrote? I guarantee you he wrote what the law does. The law condemns. Not just women caught in adultery in the very act. The law condemns everyone. There was not one of them who had not sinned. Just like in here today, there's not one of us who has not sinned. There's not one of us that is worthy to pick up the rock and judge our fellow man. There is not one here who is able to say, I judge them when you don't even realize that you're judging yourself. And so Jesus bent down again. He stooped down and he wrote on the ground again. You know what I think he was writing? I don't know for sure, but I begin, I'm beginning he started writing sins down. For instance, it says they caught him, they caught her in the very act. Well, if they caught her in the act, where's the man? Probably was one of them. Could have been a setup. Jesus began to expose the unrighteousness of their righteousness. And that's what truth does. Truth tears apart our self-righteousness. I don't know about you. If it wasn't for truth, I'd think I'm okay because I can always find somebody in church that I look better in. I can always find somebody around my neighborhood that I'm better than, that I, I don't do that no more. But that's not the source of what makes me righteous. You see, righteousness that is acceptable to God is sinlessness. <laughs> and truth has a way of exposing things. You ever heard that, sir? The truth always prevails. You may not believe that. It may not look like that. But truth never fails. Truth is truth. You can't change it. Jesus began to write things. I bet he began to write some stuff. And one of them said, ooh, that's me. I bet that old hand began to loosen up on that rock. And friends, listen to this. As Jesus said this, he looks. And they begin to leave one after another. Look, then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last, the youngest. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. Now, guys, this is what you got to understand. One day, every one of us will stand alone with this king. This, this savior, this word that became flesh. And we won't be able to look at our brothers or our sisters. We won't be able to say they did this or they did that. It's supposed to be you and him. And this is the amazing thing about Jesus. Jesus looks at her. And when she had raised himself up and he saw no one but the woman, he says to her, a woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And you know what the Bible says? In, in John's gospel, in John chapter 3, verse 16, we all know that verse. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever so believeth him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know what the verse after that says? Verse 17. For God's Son did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 
Jesus doesn't condemn sinners. Sinners condemn themselves. You know how? By rejecting Jesus and not receiving truth. See, when truth shows you're in error, you know what you do? Forgive me, Jesus. When truth exposes you for what you are, a sinner, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, one day, you may not realize this this morning, but it'll be you and Jesus. And what you do with Jesus today will depend on what Jesus does with you then. And look what Jesus did. She says, no one, Lord. You know why no one accused her? Because none of them could accuse her. They were all as guilty as her. And look at what it says. Neither do I condemn you. And all Jesus told her to do was go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. You know the amazing thing about this? Jesus put the rock throwing business out of business. Amen. And you know what? Scott Camp said this at at the um, open range, preaching this text. And Dennis has quoted it so many times, I've got it remembered. And y'all know my memory's bad. But Dennis said, the amazing thing about this, he said, I wish I'd have said it. But I'm going to use it. And I'm like, a preacher told me one day, if my bullet's shooting your gun, load her up and shoot them. So I'm going to shoot Scott Camp's bullets. Scott Camp said, when you look at this text, the only one that could stone her wouldn't. Jesus was sinless. He could stone her, but he wouldn't. And those who would stone her couldn't. Did you catch that? And I don't know about y'all, but Christmas is a wonderful thing. Aren't you glad that we no longer under Moses and the law? That we're under Jesus and grace? And you know what? Man, you can look around at everybody else's garden and say they're full of weeds, but if you get to looking, yours needs weeding too. The Bible says, don't you judge your neighbor. It says, if you're going to judge your neighbor, look, if you're going to find the twig in his eye, get the big plank out of yours. And you know what? We all got something that makes us unable to be able to throw a rock. And you know what? When I look at this and I read this story, I don't know about y'all, but the word became flesh. What a story. Amen. And when Jesus, God in the flesh, was standing next to a sinner just like us, when everybody else, the whole church, have you ever been to church and the church condemned people? I'm going to tell you what, they say the Baptist is the best about shooting or wounded. <laughs> you know what, someone come here, they hurting, they've messed up, they've made a mistake, they come forward, they're crying, they're broken, and we're all, man, can you believe what they've done? Did you hear what they did? Friends, listen, when a sinner comes into the house of God, the last place he ought to find unacceptance, condemnation is from us. We ought to be the most understanding of all. At the temple, Jesus is teaching. And they catch her and drag her there. They didn't care about her. They cared about their religion. And friends, listen, Jesus didn't come to make us religion. Jesus came to give us a relationship with God. And the only way you can have a relationship with God is through grace. And friends, today as we we look at this, it's quiet in here this morning. You know, at Christmas, we're going to have, we had a look last week. We're going to look next week. But guys, listen to this. Jesus brought grace and mercy. And at Christmas time, we all need it. As we look around, there's people that we may see that we say, man, they could do better. They could change. But if there's ever a time when we ought to remember what God did for us, 
is when we look at Jesus and what he brought. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Father, and it was full of truth and grace. Today, no matter what you've done, no matter where you fail, Jesus is for you. He cares for you. He died for you. He loves you. And he will forgive you regardless of what everybody else says. You know, when I first got saved, y'all didn't know me then. And it's probably good because you wouldn't let me be your pastor. But when I first got saved, all my friends thought, this ain't going nowhere. They'd say, Marvin, you just want Diane back. Cooper done got religion. Oh, he's just trying to get his wife to come back. And I'll be the first one to tell you, the first night I went to church, my main motive was to get her back. <laughs> and once I started going, I said, Lord, if I got to go to church and I got to be pretty good, I'll do that to get her back. I was trying to be religious. It didn't take me but about three Sundays to find out Jesus wasn't worried about me being religious. Jesus was worried not about my marriage, though he cared. He was not worried about me getting Diane to come back. Jesus was worried about me and him. And you know what I found out? Me and her can never be right unless me and he is right. And everyone around me will never be right when me and Jesus ain't right. And when I got right with Jesus, I have told my wife, y'all know my story, so many times that I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to tighten up. I'm going to change. When it finally happened, Jesus told me, don't tell her. <laughs> Just you're wasting your time anyway. She ain't going to believe you. <laughs> so what I started doing? I just started following Jesus. I just started listening to Jesus. I just started going to church. That happened in January. By Easter, Diane said, what has happened to you? And I remember we was coming back from an Easter service. And I told her, Jesus is real. And she said, what do you mean Jesus is real? You just figuring that out? Yeah, he's real. You know what? Until Jesus is real, it's all religion. Jesus came to be real. That's what truth is about. And when you get real with Jesus and you get honest and you say, Lord, this is where I'm at. This is what's in my life. This is what's messed up that I can't fix. Grace. He pours it out on us. That's so opposite of religion. And I don't know about y'all. The more messed up you are, the more grace you can get. <laughs> His grace is never in short supply for the person who's willing to be honest and say, Lord, this is where I'm at. This morning, we're going to stand. There's some people who might need to be honest. But I'm going to tell you what, I'm so thankful when he sees me that he judges me not by my works, but by his grace. So as we pray, would you pray with me? Father in heaven, as we gather today, we thank you for the grace that is provided through Jesus. That Lord, as John tells us, the one who came, the word, who became flesh, he dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. He was perfectly righteous. He had every right to stone a lady, but he didn't. Even though he could, he wouldn't. And he's told her, I do not condemn you. Just go and don't do it again. Lord, help us today to take advantage of the grace God offers, Father. If there's one under the sound of our voice that's never been saved, Lord, I pray today that they would, for the first time, repent of their sins, confess their need for Christ, and trust him as their Savior. And for those of us who are saved, who may have wandered, who may have allowed things in our life, Lord, help us today to be judgment day honest, that we just say, Lord, this is what it is. 
will you forgive me? And Lord, you've told us if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. So Jesus, we want to thank you for the gift of grace and mercy when we come to you in truth. So Lord, we give you praise today. And I just pray for this invitation time in Jesus' name. Amen.